This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Connecticut discussing an apocalyptic sex cult. Then, we'll tell you about the first murder conviction without a body in Connecticut history. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Constitution State. The term cult is often flippantly thrown around these days. Everyone has their own opinion on what makes up a cult and what is or isn't one. For the sake of today's case, let's put those differences aside and instead ponder what the leaders tend to have in common. Cult leaders are usually psychopaths with a desire for power and often take ideas from politics, religion, and psychology to fulfill their purpose. They're usually narcissists, but know how to turn on the charm and charisma. They demand blind and unquestioned obedience and demand excessive admiration from their followers. They're exploitive in some way. Sometimes it's for financial gain and other times it's for sexual gain. No one joins a cult voluntarily. They're recruited into it by systematic social influence processes. The promise of a fresh start or a new meaning in life can definitely sound appealing. There is comfort when someone can provide answers to our problems in a seemingly supportive environment. Everyone has vulnerabilities and some people thrive on exploiting them. Surprisingly, we haven't yet covered a cult. That is surprising. So cults kind of freak me out in a way I can't really put into words. That's probably why I'm not really into researching them. But this one that I'm covering today, I have never really heard about, so I was a little curious. I'm going to take you back to the 70s and 80s and tell you about a doomsday cult in central Connecticut. That's my favorite time, 70s 70s and 80s. 70s and 80s. So this all begins with a man named Julius Shacknow who was born into a Jewish family in Brooklyn in 1924. After Julius served in the Navy in World War II, he decided to convert to Christianity. When he was 45 years old, he moved to Connecticut and proclaimed at an outdoor revival in Trumbull in 1970 that he was Jesus Christ reincarnated. So things really escalated quickly there. He became known as Brother Julius and set up a base in Meridian, Connecticut, and gained national attention as the leader of a cult called The Work. Have you ever heard of that, The Work? No. So journalist Chris Harris from People described Julius as an elfin-looking man with a scraggly beard and a penchant for robes. And this is honestly a dead-on description. I think he's kind of an elfin-looking troll. But his followers found him mesmerizing. He was short and stocky. No, no. He was short and stocky with long brown hair, but was balding. (laughs) You're describing Danny DeVito. (laughs) It is kind of Danny DeVito, but with longer hair. Oh, gosh. Okay. And had a bushy beard. Actually, I'm going to show you a photo real fast. So this is the cult leader. No. He looks like Sal from, um, what's the show with Claire Danes? Where she's... In the FBI. Oh, um, what is Homeland. That? Homeland. He looks like Sal from Homeland. Not like but, Jesus Christ. No. But more elfin. He's more something. 
Anyways, oh, continue. Okay. He loves the bathrobes. <laughs> yes. He's got a beard. Yeah. So anyway, Julius declared himself as an oracle of God sent to save mankind by eradicating all evil from the earth. Good luck. He went from being an oracle, so that's what he started out as, like mm-hmm. he was a prophet, to being a reincarnate of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So he was Jesus mm-hmm. back to, you know, and he mm-hmm. said God had commanded him to judge the world's sinners. No. That's why you needed to see him. So Julius said that he was taken up into heaven where God told him, you are a very special predestined chosen vessel to help me close the world and your generation of evil. He led six hour long Sunday services in a rented veterans of foreign affairs. Six hours? Yeah. And I thought mass was bad. Well, no. it's kind of common of cult leaders. They want to exhaust people. They so they're love typically, bomb you. Yeah. They Sermon really bomb do. you. So you're just exhausted. So, sorry, I said affairs. It was a Veterans of Foreign Wars Hall on Route 10 in Plainville. He wore white robes and large pendants. So did his members. It was the Star of David with the cross in the middle of it. Real original. He gave each follower a new name, which is also something Charles Manson did. He preached his own mixture of Christianity, Judaism, and science fiction. He told his followers that he had the power to heal people of their addictions and illnesses and that salvation was only attainable through sexual intercourse with him. I'm going to try that line from now on. See where that gets me. Besides an assault charge. Yeah, this this guy. Just kidding. I'm not going to say that. that. She's not. I'm joking. He had strict rules. One of them being women were not allowed to wear any makeup because only loose women would do that. Attacked? (laughs) Only a loose woman would wear makeup. And he also said black was the color of the devil. So no one was allowed to wear black. I know. I'm like, this guy. But there are other religions that are like, don't wear makeup. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there are. Because you're not Everything the embodiment he does, of... Non- nothing he does is original. Right. He's, He's taking just it taking from it. something yeah. else. Yeah. Um, like black being the color of the devil. Okay. So he wanted his followers to follow strict modest guidelines. But as you can probably assume, he did not have to follow any of those rules. They never do. The rules did not apply to him. So he took on the moniker, the sinful messiah. So he explained to his followers that he had to sin so he could understand what it was like. So he I'm would, done. I, I know, he convinced them that he had to do all the sinful things. This may send you to hell. Let me just, let me let try me it out. Let me do it real fast. Let me do this real fast. Yeah. He needed to understand and the sins. And let, then I'll let you know. Yep, that was, don't do that. That was a sin. Nobody just, else do this. This guy. He took on several wives, and he also arranged marriages for others. He circulated among seven wives, staying with each one no more than one or two days a week. Supposedly, he followed that regimen for years. His main wife lived in Berlin, and Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if he was ever actually legally married to any of them. Right. Or if it was all just, you know, in this religion. His third wife, named Joanne, became a leading figure in the cult, and together they had three children. So even though he had arranged marriages, he would still like the ability to sleep with whoever he wanted. Once, he told one of his male followers that he needed to sleep with his wife for, quote, special work. 
from the Lord. Yes. He came to me and told me that I need, no. I mean, no. it's just, I know, I, I know, it's just all seems. So he's basically raping these women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. In a nutshell. Yep. Most of the cult members were in the age range from 16 to 22. Oh. Which makes it even that's gross. more disgusting. But, so basically he would come in, provide them jobs. You know what I mean? If like they were on drugs? No. Like paint the house? So and- he had real estate businesses. So they would like work for his company. He would give them jobs. Some people were on drugs. He would get them off. He would say, I'm going to make you clean. And so he did have something that would interest people. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he targeted people that were young, first of all. And were searching. And that were searching for something. Something was missing. They needed help in some way. And he here he is saying... I'm going to help you. I'm going to give your life meaning, purpose, a job. I'm going to get you clean, all of these things. But, I mean, short of just him I know. having sex with everybody, that's not, I mean, that's not a bad thing. You're getting people clean. You're offering them work. But right. They didn't quite understand what they were getting into at the time. So he had followers who were underage and others who brought their children oh, into God, the cult. No. I know, no. which is horrible. No. Horrible, Yeah. So he would systematically brainwash the followers in believing that they had to sever ties with all of their relationships that were outside the group. This is a big common thing with cults, too. If they're not in our group, don't talk to them. They're bad influences. They'll try to... Also, there are religions like that. Oh, I know. Yeah. That are like, if they don't believe the way we believe, then they're against us. So... Yeah. I I respect everyone's religion to an extent where the ones where they're... They shun people or they say to sever ties. Those things, that freaks me out. I'm not mm, not down to clown with mm-hmm. those religions. Mm-hmm. So Julius was no doubt a pedophile. And he made several sexual advances toward young girls. One of the victims said that when she was just 15, he was holding her hand and said this, quote, You know you're becoming a beautiful woman of God. Do you feel the spirit of God? Do you want to feel it where it counts? Stop. So disgusting. This guy's an asshole. Ugh. She also said Julius would physically abuse entire families in front of the entire congregation and would beat them all with a leather belt. It's just, ugh. So one former follower said that when she was 19 and just brand new to the cult, Julius approached her privately and said she was ready to receive the divine seed vomit he told her that having sex with him would help her be more godlike i know it's all this is now i'm like i know why i don't do cults because they just are so manipulative and they, gross they really are and it's it's easy to look into this and be like how do they not see through him but every, like everyone has vulnerabilities and if someone taps into something at the right time it's just... Well, and you think you're doing right. Yeah. And then it's kind of like a slippery slope. Well, okay, well, he did this for me. Maybe it's hard as an outsider to understand what it's like, but all kinds of people get wrapped up into cults. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's not just not the like drug addicts. Exactly. Yeah. It's not like it's just the hippies in the 70s, you know, mm-hmm. looking for free love. But Julius preyed on all of the women in his sect and was accused of one of his stepdaughters of sexual molestation. She said it began when she was just 11 years old and did not stop until she was 18. That makes me so mad. 
I know, one of his biological daughters also came forward and said that her father molested her as a child as well. So the statute of limitations made it impossible to file any criminal charges against him because so many years had passed, which is just horrible. They both did file civil lawsuits against him in the 1980s and settled out of court, but still, he, he didn't even get a you know slap on the wrist. And the abuse did not end with Julius. Daniel Sweetman, his son, was a babysitter for some of the followers' children. He sexually abused four children, including a nine-year-old boy, his eight-year-old sister, and then another ten-year-old boy around March of 1991. I hate this story so much. I know. Not doing any more cults anytime soon. No, you're fired. So the children in the group had been homeschooled since 1988 on Julius's orders ever since one of the teenagers disclosed the abuse that was going on to one of his teachers at school. Daniel Sweetman was convicted of sexual abuse and was sentenced to just one year in prison for sexually molesting four children. Yeah, I know. You get more if you're caught with marijuana. marijuana. Oh, yeah. The work at one point had around 600 members, but some were finally able to break free and the membership plummeted to 200, which is still too many. Mm-hmm. He would try to convince them if they left, they would become depressed, sick diseased, damned, all kinds of bad things would happen to them, you know, mind control. He did actually have a revenue stream, and driven by what they saw as a holy mission to advance the work, his followers throughout the 1980s oversaw the building of an expanding multi-million dollar real estate and construction business. Kind of surprising. So one of the businesses was JN North slash Century 21, a real estate company based in Southington that operated five Century 21 franchises in Central Connecticut, and they did $100 million in sales each year. Damn. Yeah. So their contracting business, Countywide Construction Co. and its affiliates, Countywide Home Improvement and Maintenance Co., did major work for towns, private developers, and homeowners. But it was later discovered that these members were being financially exploited. No surprise. They were paid sub-minimum wages and forced to engage in fraudulent labor practices. So one former follower said she was forced to work six 12-hour days each week and was never paid more than $60. She also said many laborers were officially, quote, laid off, but still expected to work full-time at cult businesses. They were paid the difference between unemployment benefits and their normal wage. So he was exploiting them big time. They were basically... Slave laborers. Uh Uh-huh. He later went from being a reincarnate of Jesus Christ to telling them that he was actually God himself. (laughs) So it started out he was an oracle, then he was Jesus, now he is God. Well, in 1996, Julius died at the age of 71 from natural causes. He was a father of five, husband to seven, and abuser of hundreds. And you would think this would be the end of the work? No. So his chief apostle, Paul Sweetman, and Joanne, who was his third wife, you know, that he Uh gave to the other guy, they assumed control over the group after his death. So Paul did have some run-ins with the law since he was running the businesses. In 2000, he was sentenced to three years in federal prison on conspiracy and fraud charges. 
and was ordered to pay $1.5 million in restitution after fraudulently obtaining a $3.2 million loan from a Hamden bank. That's a lot of money. So in 2004, Paul Sweetman vanished without a trace. Joanne, who cult members called the Holy Spirit, reported him missing on July 24, 2004. So, since Julius died eight years prior, the work wasn't really in the public's radar anymore. So, his disappearance wasn't really given that much attention. He wasn't as big, obviously, as Julius was. But, in 2014, police found the leg bones of Paul buried at a golf course in New Britain, Connecticut. A leg bone? hmm He had been murdered and buried there. Investigators believe that he was brutally bludgeoned, put into a freezer when he was still alive, and then later his body was dismembered. So investigators got the tip that several years earlier, one of the cult followers named Rudy Hannon had claimed that Paul was murdered, so they were led in his direction. In August of 2018, Rudy Hannon, along with another follower named Sorek Minnery, were arrested and charged in connection with Paul Sweetman's murder. They blamed each other. It's just, you know, they were innocent, but the other one was guilty. So at one point, Sork told police that months leading up to the killing, Rudy tried to convince him that Paul needed to be killed because he was hurting his wife, Joanne, and that God would have wanted them to kill Paul. So the investigation led police to find Sweetman's torso buried under a shed that Sork owned in New Britain. So his bones were kind of all over the place, buried in different locations. Some of the followers believed Joanne might have been behind it. They thought she ordered the murder in a way to gain control over the cult. Joanne died in April of 2011, so we'll never know her version of the truth. In August of 2021, Sork pled no contest and won't appear before a judge again until April 5th of 2022, as he awaits the trial of his co-defendant before his case is resolved. Sorek's being held on a $2 million bond. He's already accepted a plea deal, having pled no contest to one count of conspiracy to commit murder. The deal he took does not include a specified sentence. The open plea means he will learn his sentence after the trial of his co-defendant, Rudy Hannon. Well, Rudy has rejected an offer from the state prosecutors and elected in June 2019 to go to trial. So the start of that trial has not yet been scheduled since the pandemic happened. Everything's been pushed back. Mm -hmm. Well, he's still being held on a $2 million bond, and he has pleaded not guilty to charges of murder and murder in the commission of a felony. So we won't know more about them until next year. But believe it or not, the cult, the work, still does exist to this day. Yeah, so Sarah Ficka, who was the first child born into the cult in 1972 and was also a member until she was thrown out at age 20 in 1992, is now eager to talk about her time in the cult. She basically wants to expose how the leaders harmed its members. Sarah said that her parents joined the work after hearing Brother Julius preach at Thomaston Dam. The charismatic preacher with mesmerizing green eyes did not claim at first to be Jesus but that he'd gotten a vision from Jesus. She said that others who joined the work had struggled with drug problems and claimed Julius could help them get clean. She also says it's easy to dismiss those who got involved in the cult as dumb or weak, 
but that is not fair or accurate. Many were searching for something spiritually, and Brother Julius offered what they were looking for. I believed this guy was God Almighty, she said. I believed any moment the apocalypse would come and we'd be filled with spiritual power and rule the world. Sarah said she always carried a folding knife and trail mix with her. A folding, a pocket knife? A pocket knife and trail mix with her. A pocket knife and Gardettos? Yes. (laughs) Just in case she'd be prepared for the apocalypse. Because these kids, as little kids, they were taken into remote areas for survival training. Mm Mm-mm. So they were always kind of thinking the world was about to end. So you didn't have a bunch of equipment because you just needed what you had on hand. So that's the pocket knife, the trail mix. They would spend two or three days learning how to build shelter and how to find edible plants. She said most of all, she remembers living in a fear of Julius and other leaders. He had violent mood swings and other members endured physical and psychological abuse. Sarah, like many other young girls, was sexually assaulted by Julius. Sarah attended public school until her freshman year of high school, because that's basically when Julius said all cult children need to be homeschooled. Education and free thinking were not compatible with cult life, she said. As a teenager, she began to question some of what Julius preached and what the cult believed. Even though she was conflicted, she was deeply under the spell. At age 20, she was thrown out of the cult, even though her parents were both still believers. Julius told Sarah that her soul was cursed and that she would get sexually transmitted diseases and would become mangled in a car wreck. Good lord. I know. Since leaving the cult, Sarah went to college, got married, became an artist, and has also produced documentaries. She said people have been really kind and patient with her. However, she says she's not completely psychologically free of the cult. She said sometimes she still questions whether or not she's to blame when bad things happen. And she still struggles with the trauma of the experience and has difficulty trusting people. She said the cult is still active today and estimates that there are as many as 75 to 100 members. So there's an episode of People Magazine Investigates Cults, The Sinful Messiah, Got a lot of info from an ID article written by Catherine Townsend. Yeah, Arkansas Mm. name. The Bristol Press, culteducation.com, and the New York Times. If you think you may be involved in a destructive cult, or if you've recently left one, there are a lot of resources out there ready to help you. So here are a few organizations that specialize in helping people recover from cult involvement, and I'll also put the link in our show notes. Freedomofmind.com, spiritualabuseresources.com, and daretodoubt.org. I hate a cult. I do too, and I hadn't heard of this one, and now I wish I hadn't. Mm-mm. He's creepy. I feel like there's so much more to that story. Oh, for to sure. all of it. And I'm glad you didn't tell us. <laughs> I know. I want to know any more. Cults are the worst. Don't like them. We don't want to join one. No. But if you've been in one, you can write us in. We would love to hear about that. Yeah, write us in. If We're not going to judge you. No, of course not. If you've ever been a cult leader, I would judge you. But if you've been in a cult, it's... Not your fault. Like I said, it's just... It's easy to get wrapped up. Yeah. Everyone has has a low time in their life. and if, It's just like a bad relationship. You yeah, know what I mean? That's a good way it's to, very yeah. similar to a bad relationship mm-hmm. when you're lonely and 
searching and someone's telling you all the right things, it's easy to get wrapped up in everything that they're, yeah. Speaking of bad relationships. No, this isn't a story about me, Lacey. What? (laughs) It's my story. We're segueing. We're segueing. All right. Tell me about your case. So my story is about Helen Craft, known as Helly, which is super cute, by the way. So she was born in 1947, and she was Danish. She spoke five languages. Like, she's she's Mm. got it going on. So she becomes a flight attendant in the 60s. I mean, could you imagine being a flight attendant in the 60s? How cool would that be? you got the cool outfit. Like an episode of Mad Men. A hundred percent. You have the hat. You're smoking and no one gives a shit. (laughs) You get to travel. Yeah. What a time to be alive. Jealous. So anyways, she actually meets her husband this way. Okay. He's a pilot. Ten years older than her. Sex on legs. The Don whole thing. Do, yes. In a, in a pilot's suit. He's not suit, a pilot, but, you get, but yeah, yeah, you get the gist. So, but they worked for different airlines and they're at a training in Florida and, and that's how they meet. Mm-hmm. So Richard Kraft had been a helicopter pilot in the Marines before going to work for the airline. So hot. I'm saying. <laughs> you love a pilot. I love a pilot. If you're a pilot. Also, write in if you're fine. <laughs> so, who do you think would... It sounds like a movie. If you had to put somebody in to play Richard Kraft, the ex-Marine pilot, who would it be? Well, like in today's times? Yeah. Or in Like the if 60s? they were making a movie in the 60s, what actor would <sighs> what you... What color of hair did... We, we digress. Who... I don't know. Who do you think? I mean, to me, it's it's DiCaprio. Remember okay. the movie? Yeah, yeah. That yeah. he was in where he, what was that called? Do you remember that movie? Catch Me If You Can? Yes, that's it. That's all I can think about. So anyways, so it's 1969. They moved to Connecticut. She's madly in love with this man. But it comes very weird. It becomes very weird very early. Hmm. He's constantly cheating on her. Well, yeah. He's mean to her. He's verbally abusive. Like he's the trifecta of assholism but she loves him anyways because he says all the right things and apologizes it Mm kind of sounds like a lot of the stuff we see in the news lately yeah you know the shit escalates quickly so they had a very volatile relationship in fact he told her at the very beginning the only way i'm going to marry you is if you get pregnant what well, eventually that happens, and he is so pissed off, he beats the hell out of her, and she ends up having an abortion. Oh I mean, yeah, this guy's a complete asshole. Ugh. we got to pick somebody else to play him besides DiCaprio, because yeah, not, not sweet baby Leo. So a few years later, she gets pregnant again. Oh this time he leaves her and will not speak to her, and so she schedules another abortion. But he comes back. And then they get married in 1975 and they moved to a beautiful home and end up having three darling babies. And wow. she is just the happiest she's ever been. Perfect house, perfect kids. <laughs> she's still working as a flight attendant. He's still a pilot. They both travel a lot. They make a lot of money. And nannies are basically taking care of their children while, while they're gone. Mm-hmm. So this whore, Richard, 
keeps an apartment in New York City. Basically. Did you say this whore, Richard? Yes, this okay. whore. <laughs> so it's basically his stabbing cabin, and he just keeps cheating on her. Like, he. Crash. And she probably knew. Yeah. She just didn't want to accept it. But they never did anything together. Like, she did all the kids stuff. He was never around. Oh, and he was a part-time police officer in some small town up there. Don't come for me, people. It's irrelevant. Anyways. (laughs) So, karma comes to collect in 1984, and he is diagnosed with colon cancer and has less than a 5% chance of survival. Wow. He comes running to Heli, and she's an amazing woman who supports her husband and takes care of him, and he beats the cancer. Wow. Yeah. So in the summer of 86, she finds paperwork for a car he had purchased for another woman, a flight attendant that she knew. (laughs) So he's bought this girl this car and is paying the insurance. Piece of shit. So she's done. She's had enough. They've been married for 12 years at this point. Their kids are 8, 10, and 12. This mofo tells her his cancer's back to try to get sympathy from her. Mm-hmm. In September of 86, she files for divorce and hires a private investigator. And she tells her attorney that if something happens to me, he, he did it. Oh, that's not good. So the private eye snaps pics of him kissing another flight attendant. Also, his cancer is not back. Mm. And it's so over. They need a new word for it. She's she's fucking done. So on November 18th, 1986, Heli returns home from a trip that she had taken to Germany. She had been gone several days and a friend drops her off at home around 7. The nanny's there taking care of the kids and then leaves when mama gets there. And then the nanny goes out. She comes in about 2. So the next morning when they wake up, the power's out. It had snowed all night Richard gets the kids up and the nanny and takes them to his sister's because they don't have any electricity, but there's no sign of Heli. Her car was gone, so they just assume they were, she was going to meet them at the mm-hmm. sister's house. So she no calls and no shows to work the next day. Work calls because it's weird. Like, it's not like her to just not show up for a flight. Richard tells them that she's in Denmark seeing her family. Thanksgiving's coming, and she needed to get away. And, like, her co-workers knew that they had been having problems, so maybe she just needed to take a beat and just get away. So weeks go by, and no one has heard from her. So on December 1st, her friends report her missing. They call her attorney and the private investigator, and they also tell the police about Richard the Dick and all of his affairs and the violence that she had told them about. And also the fact that she had said, if anything happens to me. So police begin looking into her disappearance. They bring Richard in. He passes a lie detector test. And then on December 26th, while he is in Florida with his children, the police decide to search his residence. They get Hmm. a search warrant. Inside, they find pieces of carpet have been taken from the master bedroom. The nanny says she remembered seeing a grapefruit-sized stain in one area of the carpet, mm-hmm. 
which was now missing. And there was also a huge blood stain on the mattress. Uh, a forensic expert is brought in and confirms that the blood stain was consistent with a blow. So they also test the blood stain mm-hmm. and it's O positive, which is her blood type. So they find and test bathroom towels that had been stained with blood. They also get his credit card records and show that there were several odd purchases around the time she disappeared. Like a deep freeze that was nowhere to be found. And that's a big item to yeah, not have big... at your house if you bought it. Oh, and they find oh. the rental of an industrial-sized wood chipper. Yeah. Yikes. On a bike. And then they find a receipt for a chainsaw. I think I know this case. Well, you do not ruin it. I won't ruin it. I'm going to finish telling you. I won't. So now he's a person of interest, right? He should be. They question the nanny who tells them the carpet was recently replaced. The Mm -hmm. freezer was in their garage, but it's missing. And that Richard was acting super weird that day, not letting them leave the sister's house. The investigator speaks with Helly's family in Denmark. They haven't seen or heard from her. So they have no weapon and no body. And no witnesses. Richard, it's just business as usual with him. So, a tip comes in from a snowplow driver who said he saw a man under the bridge down by the river running a wood chipper, which was super odd because it's a snowstorm. Just happened. So, everything's covered in snow. Yeah. So, police go down to the riverbank and they find chunks of wood on the bank and a partial envelope with Helly's name on it. They spent the next several days searching this area and find over 2,000 blonde hairs, bone fragments, blue fibers, a fingernail with pink nail polish on it, and a tooth. This leads police to believe that Helly Craft's body had been fed through the Ugh. wood chipper. That is fucking awful. It's creative, but it's awful. But still, that doesn't get rid of stuff. So he's just... They searched the river. He really wasn't thinking that through. Well, they searched the river and find a chainsaw with human tissue and hair in in the chain. And Mm. you guessed it. It matches Heli. The serial number had been scraped off, but they were able to match it. To a warranty card that this moron had mailed in. You murdered your wife, but you're going to mail in a warranty card? (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. So. It's not funny. No. It's not. It's. uh -uh. I'm laughing at his. No. I can't. He's just a joke. He's a joke. So what happened was. Helly came home and the nanny leaves. She feeds the kids and puts them to bed. Which just breaks my heart. It's so awful. Richard comes in and they begin to fight. She tells him she's done. The marriage is over. And he hits her with something. Killing Uh, her. He cleans up and puts her body in the deep freeze. So this was planned. Well, that's what I was about to say. If he already bought that deep freeze, what had he planned? Oh, it's totally premeditated. Yeah. Yeah. The next day after he takes the kids to his sisters, he returns to the house, takes her frozen body out, cuts it up with a chainsaw. He froze her so there would be no blood. Because she's frozen solid. 
So there's oh not a bloody mess like right. there would be with a chainsaw cutting into yeah. a human. Then he takes the pieces down to the river and feeds it through the wood chipper, spraying it in to the river so it would wash it away. He then scrapes off the serial number and throws the chainsaw in the river. They've never found the deep freeze. They don't know what happened to it. Huh. So the prosecution for homicide requires an official determination of death of the victim that's typically done by identification of the body, right? Yeah. But there's no body in this case. So a forensic dentist is brought in and the tooth that was found positively matches Kelly's dental records. With this, a death certificate is issued on mm-hmm. January 13, 1987, and Richard is arrested and charged with murder. Of course, he pleads not guilty per usual. So the medical examiner gets a pig carcass and feeds it through a wood chipper, and the shapes of the bone fragments and the marks on the body are exactly what they found of Helly. It matches yeah. perfectly. Which just strengthens their case against sure. him. So Richard's trial begins in May and ends in July with a hung jury. The hmm. second trial ends in a guilty verdict in November. He was sentenced to 50 years in prison. So he's 52 years old at this point and gets 50 years. Yeah. In January of 2020, he's released. Stop. After serving 32 years. So he lives in a halfway house <gasps> in New Haven and swears to this day that he is innocent. Give me a break. He's 82 years old now. Let's do the, why'd you buy a wood chipper? And a chainsaw. And a deep freeze. And a Give deep freeze. It's like, I've never even used a wood, wood chipper, and I know enough to know that they spray everywhere. Well, which is how they were able to find some just, pieces. Do, do you happen to know if his kids communicate with him at all? I, did, I didn't see anything I that guess said that. Ha- at least if he's at a halfway house, he's not living with his children. Could you, I mean, it would be, it would be bad enough to know that your father killed your mother. But to freeze her and chop her up with a chainsaw and then put her in a wood chipper? No, you're not getting a Christmas card from me. No. It's just so hard to understand why people don't just divorce. I don't know. But, so this is familiar because isn't this the first episode of Forensic Files? Is it? I think it is. Shut up. A wood chipper? I mean, people get creative of disposing bodies. The Disappearance of Heli Crafts, the very first episode. It was aired on April 23rd, 1996. I'm going to have to watch that now. And I've seen this episode multiple times. I forgot the name and everything, but... Yeah. That's... Wood chipper. Frozen, so there's no blood, chop into pieces, fed through a wood chipper. Mm-mm. You're going to get caught, people. I'm just saying. So, now for our segue away from right, the away murdering from wood chippers. We have two new patrons. Yay! Exciting stuff. We have Sarah from Michigan. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. We are happy to have you. And Marie from South Carolina. We we've been in South Carolina a lot lately in our with our Murdoch, <laughs> with our Murdoch updates. updates. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. I will get up to speed and send out your stickers soon. But we are going to record soon our October patron only episode. 
So it's, it's stick so around. Long. It's going to be, be so long. <laughs> that'll be posted in a few days. Yes. So stay tuned on that. So you know how we've randomly been in the Greek charts? <laughs> we got an email from a Greece listener. Yay! So Aliki emailed us and said that she's a Greek-American, grew up in Florida, and she loved the Florida Man stories, by the way. But she lives in Athens, Greece now. I'm so jealous that she lives in Athens. No, Oh my gosh. It's so pretty there. I, I would love to go to Greece someday. But she was like, I binge listened to all of your episodes, which is, I'm guessing, why Greece popped up on your radar. <laughs> we I love, love that it. so much. Yeah, she's like, anyway, just wanted to drop you a line and let us let you know who the mysterious listener from Greece is. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you, Aliki. We love you. Thank and you. We got a couple more case suggestions from Savannah and Cheryl. Keep sending us emails. We we always need suggestions. Yes, it's a struggle sometimes. Some states are harder than others. Even if we don't cover a case you suggest to us. Right away. Because yeah. we're going through. Right. Because yeah. some cases, like, I kind of already know what I want to do for the next one. But then for other ones, cough, Utah, and Montana, I have no idea. So some cases are, or some states are harder than others. But thank you guys for listening. We appreciate it. Did you finish Midnight Mass? Yes. And? I liked it. Did you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Have you watched any of the new American Horror Story? No. Well, you suck. I've watched two episodes. Two? two. Are you going to finish it out? Well, there's, there's only, only two, two left. Yeah. What do you think? Better than the first half? Or? I'm not a huge alien person. Uh-huh. I don't know why. It doesn't, I mean, I, I don't want to get abducted. I believe it <laughs> fucking happens. Of course you believe in aliens. Of course aliens. I believe it. I believe in all the things. I mean, I kind of believe in aliens too. Kind of. It just, it. I feel like they play them. That music. music like a lot. I'm like, okay, I can't take too this. I can't. The top it's a aliens. little hokey sometimes. Okay. Yeah, a little too much alien. Is it? Has it scared you at all yet? No. Kind of like the... No. But I'm not scared of aliens. Again, I don't want to be abducted. So this is kind of funny. I am scared of aliens. You're scared of aliens, but not demons? Correct. I can't with Well, you. okay, so quick segue... I'm using that quick sidebar. I'm drink using another every word. time. This is this is a <laughs> drinking game alert. Every time Lacey says segway. Quick sidebar. But when I was little and, you know, unsolved mysteries. Did you get abducted? No. Half of it's true crime, but I swear half of it's alien stuff. So when I was a little bitty kid, my grand, my great grandma would be watching unsolved mysteries. Oh, I yeah, was like sure. Nine years old and these stories would come up. So when I was really little I was terrified of aliens. I kept a bottle of hairspray under my bed because my plan was... Is that to... My plan was I was going to spray their big eyes. That's not a bad plan. <laughs> it's really not. But this did you see that somewhere? I have anxiety. No, I just... You just came up with it. I came up with that. Like a very resourceful <laughs> child. <laughs> I'm like, if I get abducted, I'm going to get spray out right some in the hairspray. Because they have the big eyes. I'm like, okay, that's... we got to get it where it counts. So I've always been... Hmm. Afraid. I don't know that I believe in like big eyed green aliens. But I, I definitely believe there's something yeah. besides just us. Yeah, I do too. So I don't not believe. I, I I believe there are people who have been abducted and there are weird things that happen. 
Yeah. And Area 51. I believe in all that They're definitely stuff. unexplained So this is, this is very... So I kind of think that might freak me out. Some, like, no. X-Files is my favorite show of all time, and some episodes of X-Files, I, like, can't go to sleep afterwards. I'm like, okay, Jesus Christ. Dead. No. No. <laughs> this is not X-Files-y or Men in Blacky. Well, no, so it no, is. It is a little Men in Blacky. Is government involved in Go- it? Oh, well, you fucking don't... course. Okay. Yeah, government's involved in everything. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's a lot of government and presidents, hmm. and it kind of paints the picture, too. Is this why Kennedy was killed? Was because... Oh, okay. It's very huh. conspiracy theory. Is this why he was killed? Is because he was going to tell the public about aliens and... Okay, I, I'm probably going to try it out. You're going to. I'm going to, and I'm going to see how the ending is ruined. It's don't. But it's, it's it. and Marilyn's in it. Marilyn Monroe. Oh, okay. Kennedy. Hmm. And then Marilyn ends up dead. So they're like, and he, te- anyways, I'm going to tell, I'm just, spoiler alert. It's left and right over here. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's not scary. Like, what's going to happen next? Can I go to sleep tonight without my big bright light on over my bed? Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't. It's not that kind of scary. Okay. It's scary in a different way. Oh, my God. That's scary. What the? What are you doing? I'm still getting a Why do you need a scale? Are you selling drugs? <laughs> <laughs> Is there a child that you're going to weigh downstairs? <laughs> that was about the scariest thing. We didn't have a new person buy cocktails, but, I mean, so many people so have. So many people have bought them, though. Like, LaDonna, Nate, Tori. They bought multiples recently, so we I made some apple cider Moscow mules, and it's good. I was surprised Ashley liked it. I, I was, was surprised like, Ashley liked this. it. I'm like, how more creative can I get with vodka? I like <laughs> swear, like you don't like whiskey, bourbon, gin. You like any other thing other than vodka? I mean, I will drink those things. You will try it. I mean, like I'll drink like like a whiskey and coke or something like that. I just don't like. Fruity, foo-foo, chick drinks. Okay. That's not my thing. It's too much sugar. I'll have a headache. I get in a bad mood. It's a thing. Okay. Well. But this is really good. I'm glad you liked it. So it's um, apple cider, ginger beer, lime juice. Vodka. Vodka. Rocktown. Hey. I mean... I put some rosemary in mine mm-mm. and some apple slices. I did not put it in yours because I knew you would no, be picking it No, I would have poured that shit down the, straight down the drain. Oh, it's, it's not, I mean, it's good. Moscow I've drinks are one drink. of my favorite drinks. I'm not going to order it when we go out, but it's good. <laughs> Could I have the apple cider Moscow mule, please? I'll order that. That's something I'll Hold I'll everything order. but the vodka and then add unsweet tea. Oh, my God. Uh, you want an unsweet <laughs> Ginger beer? Unsweet tea and vodka, that's your mule. It does smell a little potpourri-ish. Ashley mule. It smells like a dryer sheet. We were planning on being in Delaware next week. We were. But Not physically. <laughs> it would be fun, though. Figuratively. Yeah. But we might have an interview episode coming out before the Delaware. It's going to be really... I'm excited. We're not going to give too much away, but I know people don't... Some people don't really like listening to interviews, and I get that because I'm kind of that way too. But this interview, I think it'll be worth your while. A hundred percent. I can't say much yet because we haven't done it, but it's a very interesting topic with a very interesting person, and... And it's in the news right now. Yeah. So just... Fingers crossed that goes okay. If that doesn't happen, we'll be in Delaware. But if not, we'll be in Delaware. <laughs> You're going to be just as surprised as us. You will n- <laughs> we won't know until you know. That's the way it works. 
So follow us on Instagram at United States of Murder, on Facebook and Twitter at US of M Podcast. You can join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash United States of Murder. We have a September episode out for patron listeners only, and we're about to record an October episode. And it's going to be a doozy because there's so about much. To do that. Ooh, yeah, there's a lot of updates. So much has happened. So, all right, bye. Bye. bye.